Merry Christmas. Um, have I don't know if any of you have ever seen. Um, I found it on Instagram. It's a, a an artist. I think his name is Nathan. It's probably pronounced Pile. He writes the, these comics. It's called Strange Planet. And if you've got that that image for me, Joel, you throw that up for me. This is how I feel today. Wildly unprepared for the day. And so Strange Planet is just a, a look at Earth through the eyes of these fictitious aliens. Um, I showed up to church this morning. I felt like I was prepared. I felt like I had everything under control. I was rested. I was ready to go. And then the heat didn't work. And so then I spent an hour and a half on the phone trying to get someone to come here. And then I get a text message from Renee who says, I can't get the garage door to close at home. And so I'm FaceTiming with Renee as she's trying to do garage door repairs while I'm in my office and she's trying to fix it, which she did fix the garage door. Good job, babe. And I just feel totally wildly unprepared for the rest of the day. And it's Christmas and I don't have all my Christmas shopping done and, and like, Renee's mom is coming to town in, in a couple days who we haven't seen in two and a half to three years. And, and it just feels like life is slightly out of control at the moment. Can anybody agree with you? Is anybody else there? All right, cool. We can all be wildly unprepared for Christmas. If I had really good arti like, like artistic skills, I would have adjusted his, his graphic and been like wildly unprepared for Christmas. Imagine missing a global event completely, a global event so big that it, it, it absolutely alters the course of human history. On February the 19th, 2020, there was a group of about 25 people that took a guided rafting trip down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. And for 25 days, they were completely off grid. There was no cell phones, there was no contact with anybody, and they just spent the time rafting and camping and just, just being together. And when their trip ended on March the 15th, the man who was scheduled to meet them at the, at the pickup location pulled them in off the river and asked them, said, hey, have you guys been in touch with anyone? Have you seen anyone at all on your trip? And they said, no, we, we haven't seen anyone. And the, the, the guy who was picking them, up, picking them up launched into this long explanation of, of how the globe had been gripped by the coronavirus pandemic and how everything had come to a screeching halt. He was telling them stories about toilet paper shortages. Thank the Lord that that's over. That's like, we will never be able to explain why that happened. Right? And he was talking to them about how the NBA and the NHL seasons were completely canceled and everybody was on lockdown, stay-at-home orders. One of the river guides who guided many people on this same trip said, you know, we'd often joked about how, what would it be like if we came back and suddenly the world was different, but it had never happened before. I mean, if you can remember back, it wasn't all that long ago, and I know we're still kind of in the middle, in, you know, in the, in the name of Jesus, we're not in the middle of it, we're in the midst of it, coming out the other side. But it was difficult, you know, at the time when all of a sudden everything shut down and we were getting information in real time, things were happening. Can you imagine just going away and then waking up and then boom, it's all different? I read another story about a, a group of, of researchers who was on a tiny island like south west of Hawaii. And they'd been on the island for six months and just the, the nature of the island where they are, there was like zero contact. They're dropped off and then six months later they were picked up and they had the same experience. They were picked up and they flew back to Hawaii 
and everything had changed. It's hard enough as we go through it, but in an instant, everything changes. Now, I want you to imagine missing a global event where even though you were told about it, you missed it and life just kept on going because you just chose to ignore what happened. That is the city of Jerusalem. They missed Christmas. They missed the Christ. Not because they didn't know or because they were off grid, but they heard about it and they chose to ignore it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we'll read starting in verse number 8. It says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now that would be a sign because you don't put babies in mangers. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which they had been uh, told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which, the, which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things in her and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So Jesus is born in the little town of Bethlehem, which is almost literally in the shadow of the city of Jerusalem. One of the three greatest events in human history is taking place. Right, These these would be what I would call the greatest events in, in human history. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Right, So the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, is literally taking place in their backyard. Within walking distance of the city and literally no one seems to notice. When Renee spoke a couple weeks ago, she talked about how Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. So it takes, you know, on average, it takes about 20 minutes to walk a mile, give or, give or take. Some it's give, some it's take. So within about two hours, you could have walked from the city to Bethlehem. Yet, no one came. The entire city of Jerusalem missed Christmas. They missed the arrival of the one that they had been waiting for. Now, that's the thing. See, it's not like this was an an unexpected event. They'd literally been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come. And they missed it. Jerusalem was where the temple was. That was the center of worship. Where all the celebrations and the sacrifices took place. Yet they somehow missed the one 
to be worshipped. And it's not like they didn't hear about the arrival of Jesus, this little baby. The shepherds that the angels appeared to were very likely in the fields in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, spending the night watching their sheep, making sure that nothing happened to them, when suddenly, as we read, the angel stands before them. If you come face to face with an angel, it's enough to make you drop to the ground and tremble. And yet, the glory of the Lord shines all around them with this angel. And as the angel tells them about this baby who has been born, the Messiah, and the sign of him laying in a manger, suddenly the night sky is filled with all of the, heaven, the host of heaven. The armies of the Lord, the angels, are all around them singing and declaring praises to God. And I'm sure, you know, as, they, as the angels left and the shepherds are left there, in the fields, it goes dark again. You know, I, I picture them huddled around their campfire. It's the only light that they have. They collect themselves and they think, let's go find this. Let's go see for ourselves. Not that they hadn't already seen something. I mean, seeing the angel and angel, let alone a host of angels, is something to see. But they said, no, let's go and find this, this baby. Let's go find the Messiah. Let's go see for ourselves. And it says in verse 17 and 18, when they had seen this, the baby in the manger, they made known the statement, with the statement which they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Have you ever wondered who is all? Who is the all? And all who heard it. Like, who exactly is there? Who's present, in, you know, in the stable, around the manger? Well, you've got Mary, and you've got Joseph, and then you've got the shepherds. And that's it. That's, that's it. There's no one else. So I think it's, it's really safe to assume that the shepherds didn't keep secret what they had seen and what they had heard. That they told all that they possibly could. I believe that that's the all that scripture is referring to. It's not talking about the, just the few people who are around the manger. It's referring to all the people that the shepherds told. But what they had seen with the angels. And what they had heard. And the arrival of the Messiah. This baby laying in a manger. And it says when all heard the report of the angels and the arrival of the Messiah. They wondered. They wondered. But they never wandered to see for themselves. Think about that. They've been waiting for the arrival of the Messiah for centuries. And they are told, he's here. And they wonder, wow. But they never wander to go and see it for themselves. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that that's what would happen. Does anybody remember 1999, most of us in the room are old enough to remember 1999, when Star Wars Episode One was released. 16 years after, you know, after, um, after the last movie came out, Episode One, and like people were going bananas. I was in college at the time and I was working in the kitchen of a country bar and the bar was called Nashville's and so I worked late into the night and the bar that I worked at in the kitchen was in, was in literally the world's biggest mall, right? If you've ever been to the Mall of America, this mall is somehow 
bigger. Like literally from where I worked, the restaurant where I worked at, to the theater was a 10-minute walk through the mall just to get to the theater. And I was, it's not like they, they, were, they were not at, at opposite ends. And that night, I remember the opening night. People were lined up through the mall and had been lined up waiting for over 12 hours just to get tickets to see the movie. And I remember walking through the mall to, to, to go to work, and there are people not just standing in line. They're standing in costume. I'm passing stormtroopers and Jedis. I worked with two guys, two guys. They dressed up as Jabba the Hutt. It was a two-man costume, and they stood in line for 12 hours just to get tickets to see this movie. I knew people that made a two-hour drive just to watch the movie. This is a movie people have been waiting 16 years to see. The Israelites have been waiting centuries for the Messiah, and yet no one, no one goes. They never move beyond the, the wonder to wander. They hear about the angels and the glory of the Lord filling the sky, and it made them wonder, but that's it. So what causes us to move from a place of wonder to where we actually wander to see and experience Jesus for ourselves? I'd say number one, it's revelation. So, like, the, 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 the basis, the, right back to the beginning of our faith. For those that don't know Jesus and have not received salvation, see, it's, it's only the Father that can draw them and bring the revelation of Jesus to them. John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, salvation isn't something that we actually just one day wake up and decide, okay, I'm now going to give my life to Jesus. There's, 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 there's like a process. Like we are drawn in by the Father and then we receive revelation about who Jesus is and then we respond to that revelation. So as you're praying for friends and family members, those that you work with, co-workers that don't know Jesus, begin to pray that they would receive a revelation of who Jesus is, that Holy Spirit would open their eyes to who Jesus actually is, that they would have a revelation of him. See, the, 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 the work of Satan in the world causes, us to be, causes people to be blind and not see Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to prevent them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel. See, they need a revelation to move beyond just wondering about Jesus and wandering to him to have relationship with him themselves. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And I apologize, I added this in last minute, so it's not going to be on the screens. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 17 to 19. Paul, this is Paul writing, and he, he's writing a prayer, and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, or some translations will say, so that you may know him better or greater. He goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart, this is continued revelation, may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. 
See, Paul is praying, writing to the Ephesians, and he's, he's asking that God would release over them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that they would know Jesus better. It's revelation that causes us to move from a place of wonder to where we wander to him. Where we make that movement towards Jesus. Revelation. I'd say the second thing is desperation. See, a lack of desperation will keep you in the place of wonder. We, as believers, we have a responsibility to stir ourselves up to pursue Jesus. See, you and I, we have an active role to play in our relationship with Christ. It doesn't just happen. Right? Jude chapter 1 and verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourself up. 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift, fan into flame that gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Paul says, you stir yourself up. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, Old Testament, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus says, blessed are you when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He is food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. When you've worked up, a good appetite for God. See, we are responsible for our own desperation and our own hunger, not God. He promises, though, that if we draw near to Him, that He will draw near to us. It talks about that in James chapter 4 and verse 8. So if we do not pursue, and if we do not draw near, and if we do not stir ourselves up, then what we end up being is lukewarm believers. We're stuck in the place of wonder. We're never moved to wander and encounter Jesus for ourselves. Has anybody ever seen what they call a red tide? You know what I'm talking about? You can go to the next slide. That's a, that's, I know it's a little hard to see. That's a red tide. So we have them here in San Diego, you know, every, every now and again. I think this one is actually from two years ago. So if you're not familiar with it, a red tide is when there is an algae bloom in the ocean. And because there's this super abundant amount of algae in the ocean, when the waves break, the algae essentially get irritated and they give off this bioilluminescent glow. And so when we, we get them every once in a while here in San Diego, and I've always wondered about them. They, I mean, it's fascinating. I'm a I'm a really bad surfer, but I like to pretend I can surf. I would love to be, like, it's at night and the waves are glowing blue. And just, I've had friends that have posted pictures and you see the waves crashing. And I'm like, man, that looks so incredible. But it always happens at night. And I go to bed early because I wake up early. And I've never just moved from the place of wonder to wandering down to the ocean to see it for myself. And there's something different between looking at it here and looking at it for yourself. It's time for us to take personal responsibility as believers, as followers of Jesus, to move from wonder to wander and encounter all that he has for us, for ourselves. Revelation and desperation, that's what moves us from simply wondering to wandering.
Right in the very beginning of Luke chapter 2, we didn't read those first few verses. It tells us that at that time, Caesar Augustus had ordered a census to be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire. And this was the first census, it says, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone had to and was required to travel to their ancestral hometown to be accounted for so that they could be counted so that they knew who was to give tax and who how much money that they would have so every israelite is required to journey to the place where their ancestors originated from where it doesn't matter where they moved and we know that mary and joseph as they went to bethlehem they could find no place to stay and ended up staying in a stable bethlehem was busy even though it was small like, I don't know that we, that, we, that we quite always grasp how small Bethlehem was. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the Old Testament, it prophesies. It says, but you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter, from you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. It's prophesying about the arrival of Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, calling that town the runt of the litter. It's the smallest so Bethlehem, this small place, was so busy that Joseph and Mary had no place to go, no place to stay. How busy was the city then as people arrived from across the nation, across the Roman Empire, to be counted for the census? See, at the time, Jerusalem had a population of about forty to 50,000. With people arriving for the census, you can just imagine how everybody was preoccupied. You had friends coming to town. You had family members coming to town. There's not like there's an abundance of hotels and inns. There's a few of them, but mostly people stayed with family. So people are packing into family and friends' houses. And with all the people in town, imagine how busy the marketplace was. All the merchants who were taking advantage of all these new people in the city, you know, they're, they're there to, to buy food and goods and, and supplies to, to, to feed and house all of these people. The people of Jerusalem were too busy to even bother when they heard the shepherd's story of the angels and the Messiah's arrival. So imagine being too busy to see the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. He was going to bring them into freedom. They're too busy. It's actually really not that hard to imagine. Right? Because we, we see it today. Right? We, people, were too busy. We're too busy to even bother with Jesus. Because life is full. Right? We live full lives. It's full of work. It's full of pursuing the dream. It's, it, it's full of, of getting ahead, getting, getting better things, more things, bigger things. See, when we're, sometimes we're just captivated with the stuff, but when we're captivated with the stuff, we're captivated with more, there's never enough. Some people were busy with our kids. Our kids' activities, our kids' sports, our kids' programs, our kids' clubs. We're so busy that we can't even bother to engage the church family in relationship, in community, in worship, in pursuing Jesus, coming together as church family. When your family and children are the priority, then Jesus always takes a back seat. I read this recently says, if you see church as optional, then do not be surprised when your children see God as unnecessary. But that's, a, that's another sermon for another day. 
And you know, we live, we live in paradise here. Like, we really do. You know, when we posted pictures from, from Maui, I had people that I grew up with, and I grew up in a, in a small, remote mountain town. And they're like, you slay me. You live in paradise, and you're posting pictures from a vacation to paradise, and now you're returning home to paradise. And I was like, some of us suffer for Jesus in different ways. There's so much to do. Leisure. We can fill our lives up with just fun. Because we all work hard. We all work five to six days a week. And then on top of that, we've got responsibilities at home. We've got errands to run. We've got stuff to do on our days off. And sometimes when it comes to Sunday, gathering together as church family to pursue Jesus together in community, we're just plain tired. And I just can't seem to pull it together. I need to rest. I've got nothing left in the tank. Nothing left to pursue Jesus. I've got nothing left for church community. See, busyness is really, it, it's, it's, an, it's just as much of an issue for those inside the church as those outside the church. As I was studying, I came across this list of seven reasons why we might be so busy today. So number one, we use busyness as a badge of honor and trendy status symbols. See, this is the glorification of busy. You know, if you talk to some people, be like, hey, how you doing? The first thing that they say is, man, I'm so busy. So busy. And we, we, we use this to, to inflate our importance, our value, and our self-worth. God, I'm, I'm such an important person. I'm just so busy. Number two, busy is job security. It's an outward sign of our productivity and our company loyalty because I'm always working. Or number three, busyness is FOMO, which is fear of missing out. There's a shift in our culture. Spending is shifting from, you know, really from buying all the things to experiencing all the things, right? And I think social media has, has played into this because you, you look through people's, you know, Instagram feed or their, or their Facebook and we, we don't post the everyday normal average. If, you, if somebody is just posting their everyday average life, you don't follow that person. Nobody wants to see you brushing your teeth or you know, putting your socks on or you're stuck in traffic. Uh-uh. No, no. You post pictures from Maui. Right? It's the highlight reel. And so like, there's the shift in our culture from having the stuff to doing the stuff. Number four, busyness as a byproduct of our digital age. We are so connected. And it's, it's honestly, it can be very difficult just to turn it off. And to, and to stop being connected. Even when you go away on vacation, it's, it takes effort and willpower to not check the email, to not check in with the office, right? So it's this, you know, constant connection. Busyness is time filler. We've got an abundance of choices, and we have infinite ways to fill our time online and offline. And so instead of leaving idle moments where we just rest and pause, we just fill it up. Sometimes it's busyness as a necessity. You have to work multiple jobs to make ends meet while also caring for children at home and sometimes caring for, for elderly you know, parents and family members. Number seven was busyness, busyness as escapism. It's really avoiding the tough questions of life or avoiding the pain of life. Because if I slow down, then I'm going to have to feel. If, I'm, if I slow down, then I'm going to have to deal with the loss or the pain or the trauma. So I'll just stay busy 
so I never stop long enough to feel. You know how you combat busyness? You set priorities. You make the hard decisions in advance on what's important in life, and then you add in the other stuff. Because the reality is you can't do everything. We all have a finite amount of time and capacity. So deciding what's important and prioritizing those things first means that you're in control of your life. And busyness doesn't rule you. Like, Listen, you might still be busy, but you're busy with the important things. You're busy with the things that you have consciously made a choice and a decision. This is what I'm going to fill my life with. So you ask yourself, is my relationship with Jesus important? Is your family important? Is your job important? Hobbies, children, sports, you decide what's important. And then you prioritize those things. You design your life around that. And then what doesn't fit in your life is okay. You have to be okay with not being able to do everything. For our family, and our family is getting older and, you know, children are moving away and it's a different season of life. But we have always prioritized Jesus and our church life. We prioritized our marriage and then our children and then the extracurricular stuff after that. So we made sure that we were in church every Sunday, whether we were in paid full-time ministry or not. And there's been seasons of life where we were in ministry and not. And we were never missing church. There were times when, when, when our children were small, Faith was, you know, maybe six, six, seven months old. So just, I would have been three and I, I worked on Sundays. I worked every other Sunday. Renee would, would get the kids up, she would get them ready by herself and she would take them to church because it was a priority for our family. We made sure that our kids were in kids ministry and then when they turned into teenagers that they were in youth ministry and that they attended camps and conventions and conferences and retreats because it's, it was important to us. We sacrificed for that. And then when we, when we were in full-time ministry, we did ministry together. We, we carted our kids along to retreats and to conferences. And, you know, we've taken them on missions trips. And we, we did ministry together as a family because it was priority for us. Jesus is a priority for our family. And then we made sure that Renee and I always have time alone together. Because our, our marriage is a priority. As a family we, it's, it's last now, but, you know, there were, we eat dinner together every night. And there was, there was some times when it was, you know, easily six, seven nights a week where we would be able to eat dinner together and just spend that time together. We would all set the table together. We'd all clean up together. And we just had that time together. It wasn't, you know, necessarily structured conversation, but we're just together. It's a little bit last now as, you know, they move away and get jobs. And then we, the other thing, you know, we also prioritized vacations, spending time together as a family. So we'll go away together. Or because we live in paradise, we do staycations where we'll just take time and we'll do activities together as a family here. And sometimes it's just the everyday life things, you know. I mean, so Josiah is 19 turning 20. Faith is 16 and a half. And, hey, we're, you know, we're going to Costco. Do you guys want to come? Sure. And so we, like, it's a family trip to Costco. Hey, maybe there's maybe samples, right? Who doesn't like to go to Costco for samples? You mean I get to buy stuff and you're going to feed me for free? You know, pre-COVID, you could almost eat lunch on samples. So, but we would just do life together. It didn't always have to be big events. It was just small, everyday things. 
These are just some of the things that we as a family, we chose to prioritize. And there were things that we didn't do because we didn't have time for them. Not that they weren't valuable or of worth. They just weren't priority in our life. We never allowed ourselves to be too busy for Jesus. Too busy for his church. So I'll ask you the same question. What's important to you? Do you protect it? If it's important to you, do you guard it? Too often, too often, we allow the urgent to overtake the important. Sometimes it's everything is urgent. Oh, there's an emergency. There's this, this crisis, that crisis, this, this. And then next thing you know, we've neglected all the things that we thought were important because the urgent things came up. And I get it. It's hard to say no when someone is calling and I've got this crisis and this emergency, but you are not the Savior. The city of Jerusalem was too busy to bother with the birth of Jesus, and they missed it. They missed Christmas. They missed the Christ, which that's really what it's all about. As we talk about in our series, missing Christmas, it's not just about missing the celebration of Christmas. It's about missing the Christ. It's about missing Jesus. People miss Christmas because they wonder about Jesus, but they don't wander to Jesus. And they're too busy to bother with him because they filled their life up with other things. And now it's personal honest assessment time. Do you find yourself stuck wondering about the things of God? Wondering about miracles you've heard, encounters with, with Jesus that you've heard other people have, stories you've, you've read? You're stuck in wander without wonder without actually wandering to Jesus? If so, then you might be at risk for missing Christmas. Are you too busy with too busy to bother with Jesus and find yourself living without him? And maybe you're here and you're like, I just it's Christmas. This is this is what we do. We go to church at Christmas and we go to church at Easter. So, you know, I'm checking my box. No no judgment. I'm glad you're here, but you might be living without him. Or maybe you just find yourself living a, a, a fringe, like nominal Christian life. It's just, it's one of those cards you kind of carry in your wallet. I go to church. I belong to Costco. I have a AAA card. If so, then you might be missing Christmas. See, it's not just about missing Jesus in the Christmas season, but it's about missing him every day of your life. He's not... He's not an, an event-centric like God. He's not just about the events, the big times, Christmas and Easter and like those high mountains. He's, he's an every day. When you lay down to go to sleep, when you get up in the morning, when you, you, know, when, when you see the sunrise or the sunset, or he's, he's just in the mundane walk of life. He wants to do life with you and you with him to be the center of your life, not an add-on. I, I, I don't believe that you can just add on Jesus to your life. He is life. I mean, we sang about it in one of the songs, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's disappointing to miss Christmas, but it's devastating to miss the Christ. 
So this is my encouragement for you today. Encounter him. Encounter Jesus for yourself. Know him for yourself. Prioritize him and his church community. Like we, we do life with Jesus, not solo. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and his church. It's community. Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss the Christ. I just want you to close your eyes as I pray to, to wrap up. If you're here with us in person or, or you're watching online on the live stream and you realize as I've talked today that, you know what, I, I am missing it. I'm missing my life with Christ. I'm not doing life with Jesus. I'm just doing it on my own. For whatever reason, you're, you're too busy or whatever the case is for you, but you've realized you've got this hole and you're missing it. Then I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna pray for you this morning and I wanna give you the invitation to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your King, and to live your life for Him. Or maybe you've, you've realized, you know what, it was once a priority for me and I've just kind of wandered away and I, I, I don't know what happened. And now, today, this time, this is your time to come back and not miss the Christ. And so if, if that's you and you're, you're watching online, you can just throw a little hand emoji up so we know that we can pray for you. And if you're here in person, just lift your hand. If you're like, yeah, that's me. Could you pray for me this morning? Jesus, I thank you that you came. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You came to pursue us. And this morning, we choose you. We choose to prioritize you. We choose to not just get stuck in, 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 in the wonder of it all, but to wander and make our way towards you, to encounter you. I pray, God, over this, this Christmas season, as, you know, the, the focus really is now shifting into family, into celebrations, and, and, and all that good stuff. I pray, God, that you would, and I ask, as a pastor, these people that you've given to me, that you would release encounters with your presence over them. That they would encounter you at night, as they sleep, that you would release dreams over them, supernatural encounter dreams. God, as they read through the Christmas story on their own and they spend time with their friends and family, I pray that your presence would fill the room and that we would encounter you in ways that we never have before. I know, God, that there is more to you than what we've known, seen, heard about, or experienced. And so, God, I'm asking this Christmas season that you would gift us with the more of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.